Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, offering remote telefinance services with financial advisors and digital financial planning tools. PersonalCapital.com. Earth Justice, a national nonprofit law organization fighting for the right to a healthy environment. Earth Justice, because the Earth needs a good lawyer. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. It's the California Report magazine. Today on our show, artists forging ahead in these times, figuring out how to transform the lessons from their own lives into art. We'll meet a guy who crafts his comedy routine from the everyday challenges he faces as a wheelchair user. Inspirational is a four-letter word for people with disabilities, I think. We're not trying to be inspirational, we're just trying to live our lives. And a Grammy Award-winning music producer who's traveled the world collecting sound. Now he's come back home to California to record his sister. The beautiful thing about her is that she is mostly nonverbal, but she knows the words to every song. She just makes them up as she goes along. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. That's musician Ian Brennan, who made a name for himself recording live shows in a San Francisco laundromat in the 90s. He went on to become a producer, working with Lucinda Williams, Ramblin' Jack Elliott, and others. And then he turned to field recordings of musicians around the world, like Prisoners in Malawi. And genocide survivors in Cambodia. Now he's come back to California to make an album featuring his own family, his sister Jane, who has Down syndrome, and her companions, who have developmental disabilities, at an adult care facility in Contra Costa County. They're calling themselves the Sheltered Workshop Singers. Damn. 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 I 
And tell us about Jane. What was it like growing up together? Well, it was great growing up together. Uh, Jane is and was one of the biggest factors in my life, the most significant individual uh, growing up really in my whole world was her. We're only 14 months apart. Music was our language of communicating with one another. Um, I was verbal before my sister was verbal, though she was older. You know, the, the day I walked, I walked before she did. She walked the next day. You know, she wasn't about mm-hmm. to see her little brother walking, you know, without being able to do it herself. So, so our destinies were quite entwined, and, and she taught me how to listen. She taught me a way of listening, to listen not to the words, but to listen to the spirit. And the beautiful thing about her is that she is mostly nonverbal, but she knows the words to every song. She just makes them up as she goes along. listen to each other more carefully, we learn. And we have so much to learn from each other. And this is what I learned from my sister, is that she may be developmentally delayed, and yet her emotional intelligence, her EQ, is higher than almost anybody I've ever met. Well, there's one track I know that you can hear her singing quite clearly on in this album. It's called Farewell, Father, I Love You. Well, my father um, was 85 years old, and uh, we we had had an idea about doing a recording with Jane and her peers for years. We realized that if we're going to do this, we need to do this now. My, my father had been diagnosed with less than a year to live, and um, Jane is now 55, and uh, the life expectancy, unfortunately, for her population, her generation with Down syndrome is 60. We did the recordings with three generations, with my three-year-old daughter, with my father present, and with Jane and and her peers, many of whom I've known their entire lives. And uh, so that is Jane singing to my father and telling him goodbye. And in fact, he passed away two months after. You were nominated for a Grammy for your recordings of music by prisoners inside Zamba Prison in Malawi. And you won a Grammy for Best World Music Album for your recordings with Tanarawin, musicians who have roots in Mali and Algeria. And now, coming back to California and turning your mic on your own sister, I wonder what that was like for you to do something so deeply personal and also what you think this project has in common with your other projects. Well, I mean, it felt like literally coming home and it, it, it really came full circle musically because the music for me really started with, with her. And uh, it's it's been deeply rewarding uh, to hear those voices and again to see that there are no amusical people. Music is everywhere. It's necessary for survival. And I think that the voices here are unlike any others and the things that are expressed are real. This record is comprised of instant compositions with people that had never written songs before, uh, you know, sung into a microphone before, or or played instruments before. Nonetheless, uh, the results were 
were stunning, and uh, so it was a leap of faith. Well, tell us about the instruments on this album. You know, in your field recording around the world, you've often had people use instruments that are improvised, like glass bottles or, you know, bicycle spokes. What were the instruments like on this album? Well, we used uh, some of the individual's own devices, uh, the wheelchairs, the, the, the canes. There was a yoga ball. This is 100% live. What you're hearing is something that happened. And most recordings nowadays, what we hear is something that never happened. It's a simulation of an event that never actually occurred. I am invested in trying to represent a place in time and a moment in time that can connect people to reality in such a way that they can hear better. And I think that if at the end of a song you don't feel differently than you felt at the beginning of the song, then that song has failed. Well, I'm thinking about that song that Janet, one of the participants, sings, I'm Not Afraid of Anything. I'm not afraid of anything. Janet is in a wheelchair, and uh, she's middle-aged, and um, suddenly, in the midst of the improvisation, she began, as a mantra almost, saying over and over again, I'm not afraid of anything. It, it just seemingly came out of nowhere, and it was very moving. I hear those boasts so often. In, in, in our culture. You know, a lot of macho boasts about, I'm not afraid of anybody, I'm not afraid of anything, I'm a strong person. And then to see somebody saying that, very matter-of-factly, but very clearly owning it and meaning it, was so powerful and uh, moving. I'm just uh, in awe of many of the people on the record and, and, and true strength and true grit. There's also a song that I found very moving called Bad Memories by Tom. Tom is another individual that has difficulty with ambulation as well as being intellectually uh, or developmentally delayed. Uh, he has to wear a helmet due to seizures. And um, he, again, in the midst of an improvisation, began talking about bad memories over and over again. And it, it was chilling to think what he might be referring to when you know that their population is literally, statistically, the most vulnerable population, the most abused population of any in the world. Uh, some estimates say that as many as 90% of them are sexually abused and or physically abused at some point in their lives. So to hear him talking about bad memories was, uh, was staggering and chilling. What message do you think that these songs have for us in a time when there's so much anxiety and, and fear and isolation in the world? What I've always learned from Jane and her peers uh, throughout my life is, uh, is perseverance and tenacity and acceptance. That it's not a surrender, so to speak, but acceptance of limitations and then working with them and beyond them. Yeah, yeah. 
there's a woman, Grace, on the album, and she uh, reportedly goes and sings and, and consoles herself by singing often for hours at a time. And she makes up these incredible melodies. They're very intricate. And, and, and unique and complex. Some people have heard them and they say, well, what language is that in? And it's, it's, it's easy. It's in the language of music. It's the universal language. There are no words to those songs. So people are trying to find the meaning and the meaning is embedded in the music itself. These lives have value and they may be overlooked, but they have incredible value that might be a greater contribution to our society than, than some people might have ever considered or, or recognized. Musician and producer Ian Brennan talking about his new album, Who You Calling Slow, featuring the Sheltered Workshop singers. And now let's head to Sacramento to meet a guy who's been through a lot of challenges in his life, but the one thing that's kept him going is comedy. Next comic is the man we've been waiting for, is my friend. He's a comic, a comics comic, makes the noise with the very funny, the very talented, Mr. Dan Smith. Let's go. Before the pandemic, a group of comics would hoist Dan on stage once a week at a Sacramento comedy club called The Punchline. How we doing? Yeah. Hey, thanks for coming out to the stand-up comedy show tonight. I'll be your uh, can't stand-up comedian for the night. <laughs> Dan calls himself the can't stand-up comedian because he uses a wheelchair. He's even got his own logo. The stick figure wheelchair guy falling out of his chair with a microphone. Comedy has been a kind of sanctuary for Dan, but COVID has made it impossible for him to go out to clubs and do his sets in person. The California reports Asala Sanapur has been in touch with Dan throughout this year and brings us his story. For Dan Smith, even mundane, everyday chores become fodder for his next comedy routine. First, he takes out the trash. He's gripping the bin as it propels him down a steep hill to his curb. So it's taking out the trash can of terror. Next, he walks his dog. Going for a walk and roll. He's walking, I'm rolling. Dan's got phrases like this for just about each part of his day. Yeah, you know, you gotta keep things fun. Laughter is what's kept me sane through a lot of things. You see, Dan has spina bifida. It's a birth defect that happens when the spine and the spinal cord don't form properly in utero. Dan was born with an opening in his back and needed surgery at eight days old to close it. He says he has the most severe version of spina bifida, called milo-meningocele. It sounds like my ninja seal is named Milo. <laughs> he makes light of it now, but he says as a kid he was shy, didn't have a ton of friends. I obviously knew what was different about me, and even if other people didn't make a big deal out of it, I still kind of knew what was there and felt like I didn't really fit in. But Dan knew he loved to laugh and make people laugh. Comedy was always in the back of his mind, but being in the spotlight, it wasn't for him. Getting up on stage in a room full of people and being the center of attention in the room, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Confidence was one hurdle, but Dan's health posed another challenge entirely. 
The early part of the 2010s was really bad for me. I was in and out of the hospital. I had a lot of health problems and some personal problems. And, uh, yeah, being in and out of the hospital every couple times a year, that'll get to you. This string of hospital visits lasted about five years. But there was one thing that boosted his spirits, the work of another local comedian who uses a wheelchair. His name was Michael O'Connell. I met him a few times, and he actually came and visited me at the hospital one time, which I really appreciated. And I guess I kind of looked up to him, you know, because he showed me that here was a person with a disability, you know, out there doing comedy and doing well at it. And I thought, you know, hey, if if he can do it, you know, I, I would like to try sometime too. 2016, Michael O'Connell passed away. Um, and that kind of really kind of affected me because I just I felt like I lost somebody that I, I somebody I looked up to, you know. After Michael died, Dan wanted a way to honor him, so he decided to finally pick up comedy. It took you know a lot of years for me to realize that hey, I've got some good stories, you know. <laughs> I want to share them. Since then, Dan's devoted each set to highlighting life with a disability, including the good. I call the good the perks of paraplegia. And the bad, like the microaggressions he faces every day. But I'm going to tell you that the biggest middle finger in all of society, to people in wheelchairs specifically, it's outside of every elevator. In case of fire, use stairs. (laughs) But still, Dan doesn't want to speak on behalf of all people with disabilities or get labeled as inspirational just because he uses a chair. Inspirational is a four-letter word for people with disabilities, I think. We're not trying to be inspirational. We're just trying to live our life. So I'll, I'll, I'll incorporate my disability in these sort of universal topics. Like marriage and his sobriety. Uh, I, uh, I, I quit drinking this last year. I've got uh, nine months sober now. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. When he was younger, Dan says drinking was a way to fit in. I didn't drink every day, but when I did drink, I couldn't stop until I passed out. I did a few sets when I was drunk, and there was a set I did that I don't remember at all, but uh, I was told that I got up on stage and uh, I told one joke and then just spent the next five minutes going in circles. Dan bombed so hard that he vowed to never waste an opportunity on stage again. In fact, he jokes about that too. I'll tell you, I am having a hard time with it though. You know, it is just impossible to find a wheelchair accessible 12 step program. <laughs> You know, you joke about the things that you that you struggle with. If you kind of think about a comedian set, you know, the thing that they're making you laugh about is something that has been hard for them, or that that's kind of comedy, is turning tragedy into comedy. One tragedy that's been hard to turn into comedy is COVID-19. Dan is immunocompromised. Emotionally, he says he's had some pretty bad days. And he's tried doing some sets over Zoom, but he says it's just not the same. Like, you know, when I'm performing in a room and I hear the laughter, or, you know, in bombs and I hear the relative silence. I even miss the relative silence. 
but most of all, he misses his fellow comedians who made him laugh week after week. I'm gonna miss the hell out of them. I miss hugs. <laughs> About a week after our conversation, Dan emceed a body-positive comedy night over Zoom. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the first ever Body Posi Show. We're here to celebrate uh, positivity in everybody and everybody. Yeah. Comedians discussed everything from fat phobia to gender norms. Dan had a homemade body-positive banner behind him, and he wore a t-shirt that said, I run better than the government. He looked really happy, and he tested out some new material about those everyday, mundane chores. We have one of those top-down uh, washing machines, so I have to lift myself up over the side to reach stuff at the bottom. Yeah, last week I was flipping my laundry. I fell in. <laughs> I don't get paid a lot to do comedy, but just hearing the laughter of a room full of people just... That's my payment, you know. It, it, it feels like I gave them something, you know. There's not much that makes me happier than to be able to make someone laugh. That's comedian Dan Smith talking with reporter Asala Sanapur. Asal produced that story with KQED's Anae Henderson, who also made a video about Dan for the documentary series Truly California. Check it out at CaliforniaReport.org. And now we're going to meet some visual artists and photojournalists who are not just drawing inspiration from California's spectacular landscapes, but also from our state's increasingly destructive wildfires. There's an exhibit at the California Museum of Photography in Riverside. It's called Facing Fire, Art, Wildfire, and the End of Nature in the New West. The exhibit opened for a short while before the pandemic, and it's going to reopen next month. Reporter Stephen Cuevas went to check it out and tells us that among the collection are photographs from Napa-based artist Norma Quintana. In 2017, the three-story home she shared with her family burned to the ground in the ferocious Atlas Peak fire. From those ashes, with black gloves covering her hands, she plucked the materials used to construct a deeply personal work. There's a Madonna or the top of a Madonna, doorknobs, some spoons. Veteran Southern California photographer Douglas McCullough is the curator of the Facing Fire exhibit. So she sifted out these things which for her are really not objects, they're actually memories. And she set it on a black glove and she took a photo with the only camera that she had that survived, which was her iPhone. So there's an entire wall of iPhone photos of burned objects that she sifted out of her destroyed studio and house. Most of these artists and photojournalists created work reacting to fire. But Texas-based sculptor Anna Mayer deliberately collaborated with Fire for a series called Fistful of Fear. In 2008, she shaped 12 ceramic slabs, each one engraved with a different inscription. But instead of firing the pieces the traditional way, in a kiln, she carried the unfired ceramics into a potential fire zone. In 08, I placed them uh, in the canyons in and around Malibu, 
so that they might eventually be fired by a wildfire. Ten years after the ceramic pieces were placed, the 2018 Woolsey Fire swept through the Kenyans, destroying hundreds of homes. Some of the ceramic pieces were also lost to the fire, but six survived. I felt really sick about it. Over the that decade, I, I never wished for fire. Um, and the way that the project lived during that time was as a conceptual gesture. So it just kind of lived in people's imaginations. Yeah, it's complicated, but I, I really was never wishing for fire. And it actually took a while before I really started thinking about what it meant now that there were these objects that had been fired. I've been working with fires since 2006, and they've gotten worse every year. My name's Samantha Fields. I'm a painter living in Los Angeles. Um, I'm a professor at California State University, Northridge, and I have three large paintings and 44 small paintings in the show. And the paintings are acrylic on canvas. I paint atmosphere with atmosphere. One of Samantha Fields' larger paintings was shot during a nasty brush fire that broke out at the edge of Magic Mountain. The canvas captures the moment that a little boy riding his bicycle stopped to watch the flames lick at the hem of the park's skyscraping roller coasters. You know, this child's the future, so this is the person that's going to be dealing with the ramifications of climate change and drought and heat waves and all of these different things that we deal with. Fields also includes a series of tightly framed six-square-inch canvases that focus on minute details of about 32 different California wildfires. The pieces mimic the hazy, hallucinogenic effect experienced when in the midst of a wildfire. And I moved to this kind of small square format because of the language we use when we describe fire containment. The fire is 80% contained, you know, etc. Fire is an elemental force that humanity is directly linked with. Again, facing fire curator Douglas McCullough. Other elemental forces you could list, like an earthquake or a flood or tornado. The difference is you can't, like, let a hurricane loose, right? But we can cause a fire. Mankind has this link with fire um, as an elemental force that is somehow beyond all these others. We are enabled by fire. We're created by fire. Facing Fire, Art, Wildfire, and the End of Nature in the New West reopens next month at the California Museum of Photography in Riverside. It'll run through early 2021 with social distancing measures in place. For The California Report, I'm Stephen Cuevas in Los Angeles. This week, the Monterey Jazz Festival kicks off its 63rd year. And for the first time, like so many festivals here in California, it's going to go completely virtual. It'll include some highlights from its archives, plus some new performances. I never cared much for moon and skies. I never went back at fireflies. But now that the stars are in your eyes, I'm beginning to see the light. That's the festival's next generation jazz orchestra. The band performs together remotely, and it includes some of the best young jazz musicians from around the country. The orchestra's director, Gerald Clayton, has been coming to the Monterey Jazz Festival since he was part of the high school jazz band competition. And he's come back many times as an accomplished artist himself. 
I do feel in a lot of ways like I'm the same kid I was when I first got on those fairgrounds. So I definitely relate to the mindset uh, that these hungry young musicians are in and hopefully can kind of give them some some hints and clues and, and expose them to some things that will help them along their, their journey. The Gerald Clayton Quartet will also perform a number of tunes, including this one by Thelonious Monk called Evidence. You can watch the three-day Monterey Jazz Festival for free online this year, but they will be raising money to be split between the artists, the NAACP Defense Fund, and the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. And that's the California Report magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. Our director is Amanda Font. Our technical producer is Rob Spate, with additional engineering from Seal Muller. Our team also includes Marisol Medina-Cadena and Ariella Markowitz. Special thanks this week to Michelle Loxton at KAZU. I'm Sasha Coca. Thanks so much for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors, like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.